Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. This is Monday, May 11th or something like that. I don't know what day it is. I know it's Monday. And I know yesterday was Mother's Day, so happy late Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there who are listening to this. I hope you had a great day. I said Happy Mother's Day to some of you on Facebook, so if I didn't get to you specifically, then consider this my Happy Mother's Day to you one day late. I hope it was a very good one. And so this week we are starting a lesson two of our precept study of the book of Genesis. So this is lesson two in chapter one, and lesson two is the days of creation, a closer look, is what this week's lesson is called. Again, it's the days of creation, a closer look. We're going to be using more cross-references this week and more word studies like the Hebrew word studies we did last week for Elohim and Bara, and um, I think there's another one in there. Um, Oh, and the the word studies that that led to our discovery of the Trinity in Genesis 1. And um, so we're going to be doing more of those studies this week, and we're going to be using a lot of cross-references that takes us to other places in the Bible, including in the New Testament again. So I'm excited about that. Matter of fact, there's some great discoveries just today alone that really helps clear up what the light was on day one compared to the lights on day four. Uh, So I'm looking forward to getting into those things with you. But for now, let's consider... What would it have been like to be a spectator as God brought all that exists into being? Can you imagine what that would be like to be on the sidelines, like a sideline reporter, so to speak, observing as God brings creation, or as God creates creation, as God brings everything that exists into being out of nothing? If we had been there when God created the universe, walking on the wings of the wind, what would that have been like? Can you just imagine how glorious that would be? And surely we would have stood in breathless awe, witnessing the incomprehensible revelation of his wisdom and his understanding as he spoke. And brought our world into existence with the very power of his word. That's just it. With the power of his word. Just his spoken word. He brought everything into being. That's amazing and so powerful. But alas, we weren't there. Except in the mind and heart of the one who chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. You can go to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 for that. We were, we existed in his mind and heart even before he created. 
Throughout eternity, we have been in the heart of God. Let us make that truth ours by carefully studying His Spirit-breathed words through Paul as he writes that to the church of Ephesus. So let's actually go there. I made reference to this passage already, but let's go there and just read it real quick. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And then I'm going to read this in the New American Standard Bible because that is the Bible that is used for this study. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Okay. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heaven... Oh, oh wait, now I'm, I'm reading in the, the NIV. Oh, um, let me go to the NASB. Sorry about that. NASB. Here we go. Let's try that one one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. That is the NASB. Since I started reading this from the NIV, let me go ahead and read it there again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. So there's the from the NASB and from the NIV. Sorry for that loud sound as I put my phone back down. So here we are today. We're finite in being and we're finite in understanding. But we have the book. We have his book in our hands. Whether you're reading a print version of the Bible or whether you're like me and you've got a handheld version of it on your tablet or on your phone or on your computer. We have access to God's book. The very God-breathed words that he carried holy men to write for us as his eternal message to his people. And to all of us. We hold this very message in our hands. And if we allow it to, it will transport us back in time. To the very beginning. To the days of creation. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. As Job 38.7 says. If we allow it to, this, uh, this Bible will transport us back to those six days. The Yamim. When God himself brought the heavens and the earth 
and all living things into existence. And so this week we are going to take a closer look and even more zoomed in view at those six days of creation found in Genesis chapter 1. We have observed the text of Genesis 1. In the back of my study guide, I have marked the key repeated words and phrases. We've noted God in action. We've observed the the uses of the Hebrew word yom in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And now... We will study the creation day by day, and we will examine each event in the order of its occurrence. We will look at what God says about these events. Again, not bringing our own ideas into it, but looking at what He says about it. And we will let that transform our minds. In the process of it all, hopefully we will come away more equipped to give a solid answer and a reasonable defense for our faith. This is something that I've been talking about in my life group a little bit in the last week. Uh, My life church life group, which is called the Berean Way, which can be uh, found on Facebook. Um about the need for us to be able to give a reasonable defense for our faith. Not just to say, well, I believe it and that settles it, but to really be able to articulate to others why we believe what we believe. So many people are leaving the church today, especially younger people, because... Well, there's a number of reasons, Um, but one of them, no doubt, is that when serious questions are brought to people who are supposed to have the answers, sadly, many times we're lacking in those answers. Because we've been taught, maybe unwittingly, but we've been taught a level of blind faith. rather than a reasonable faith that can be backed up with evidence and apologetics. A faith that can stand up to scrutiny. A faith that can withstand whatever challenges is brought against it or are brought against it. So, Part of the reason why we need to do this study is to, and and to really not just listen to it or read it or do it, but to really soak it in and make it part of us is so that it can help equip us to defend the truth. So we're going to continue on with, we're going to pray here just a little bit, and we're going to ask our Creator for knowledge and wisdom and understanding of His Word. 
And I just want to, uh, if you have doubts about Genesis, while I'm praying, you can pause this. If you have any doubts at all about what Genesis says about itself, especially in these first two chapters right now, you don't have. Uh, you can pause this and express those to Him. Express those to God. Express them to your Creator. I mean, He already knows it anyway. But verbalizing those doubts is actually healthy. And so we're going to pray right now. And again, if you want to take some extra time to pray something extra other than what I'm doing, feel free to take some time to do that and then hit play. And then we'll continue on with the study. But I'm going to go ahead and pray right now. Oh, gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revelation of creation. And we thank you for the details that you have provided to us of your creative activities in Genesis 1 and 2. As all three members of your trinity were involved in the creation process. And Lord, I ask right now that you would transport us back to those days as we learn what you have to say to us in the early days of creation. Let it be in our mind's eye and even in our spirit like we're actually there. And help us to get everything correct as you see it and as you did it. And it is in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to read Genesis 1-2 aloud, and then we're going to note what... When we're going to learn about the activity of the Spirit of God in this in this verse, and we're going to take note of what He is doing. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter one in verse two, and we're going to take this back to the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. We're going to read it. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So what do we learn about the Spirit of God in this verse, and what's he doing? The Spirit of God is at creation, and he's hovering over the waters. That's the very first reference to the Spirit of God that we find in his word, and that's what he's doing. At creation, he's hovering over the waters of this formless and void earth at the time. Now, let me set my phone back down here for a minute. In order to picture the first day of creation, it's helpful to focus on the words used in its description. 
The Hebrew phrase trans translated as formless and void is tohu vavot. Excuse me. That's all, folks. Let's try that one more time. The Hebrew phrase translated formless and void is tohu vabohu. Not tofu. Tohu bavohu. I hope I said that correctly. So now we're going to compare this phrase in Genesis 1-2 with Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. And then we're going to see what we learn from that. So, first we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and read it one more time just to keep it fresh in our minds. Again, I'm reading in the New American Standard Bible right now. And it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So that's Genesis 1-2. And now we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. And there it says, for thus says the, the Lord, or remember last week when I was reading from the Lexham English Bible, the L-E-B, when we saw the, the phrase, the Lord, or capital L-O-R-D, that that is Yahweh, the proper name of God. So we could read it as, for thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. And did not create it a waste place, but he formed it to be inhabited. And then he says, I am Yahweh and there is none else. So, there we go. He did not create it to be a waste place, but to be inhabited. So what do we learn from that? Well, if we combine those two verses, we learn that the earth might have been started, might have started out as formless and empty or formless and void. But Yahweh, our Lord, did not create it to be empty. He formed it to be inhabited. He formed it for us. So if some radical environmentalist tells you, or you hear on the news, or hear or read in a book or a magazine or some PSA or whatever, if you read or hear that humanity is Earth's problem, that person just expressed an anti-biblical stance. An ungodly stance. Because God did not create our earth to remain uninhabited. Again, this, uh, what I was getting at with the point there was about there's talk of like population control. Some want the population of earth to be drastically reduced so that it would be better for quote-unquote Mother Earth. Which is ridiculous. There is no Mother Earth. There's only Father God. 
but some have advocated for the drastic reduction of Earth's population to make the world healthier, as it were. But that, again, is an unbiblical stance. According to Isaiah 45, 18, God formed this earth to be inhabited, not to just exist. Just as we were created for purpose and not to just exist. So if we were to pause there and just think for a moment about Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2. And in that verse it says, Before the mountains were born, and before, before God gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, it says. And that should make us want to bow before him and worship him and attribute to him the glory due his name. Again, if you want to take some time to pause and just glorify him, please take the time to do so as I'm going to pause and do as we speak. And then we're going to continue on with the rest of our study. But just to take some time to worship our Creator for how, for just the glory that that is all part of who He is. It's almost beyond words to express. Okay, now I'm uh, back and we're going to continue on. Now in my notes for this precept study, it gave me some instructions here. And I have to describe these to you because you can't really see them on an audio podcast. But for, it says here, in the boxes below, and I have some rectangles here on, uh, actually, I guess they're more like squares, um, on my page. And it says, in the boxes below, draw a rough sketch, unless you are artistically bent, of each of the verses listed above the box. While this is not everyone's favorite assignment, many later confessed they found it very beneficial. That's why we are asking you to do it. We want you to remember and to be able to picture in some sense what happened on this first day. Therefore, in the boxes, illustrate how the earth looked formless and void and illustrate the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. And so, the first thing it wanted me to illustrate was Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 2, and the first half of it, 1, 2a, which says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Alright, so, um, I found that to be particularly challenging, because how do you draw something that is formless and void? 
literally, that's like the opposite of everything. It's formless and void. I consulted a friend of mine who said, who suggested I just draw like a blob or a, I forget the other word she used, a, a blob or a, um, a vapor, I think is the other word she said, a blob or a vapor. I had a very hard time with this one. Now, again, if any of you are artistically inclined or you just want to take part in the exercise, maybe you could do this and you could do a, a drawing and, uh, and maybe it would help to cement this in your mind of uh, of what this is, what this looks like to you. And if you want to share that with people, you know, you could do that too. You don't have to. It's just uh, an option. And then we move on to the second part, and it says, "And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters." That's Genesis one two b. So again. I was faced with the same dilemma. How do you draw an invisible spirit hovering over something that is formless and void? I, I found this the whole concept to be particularly challenging. But again, maybe some of you could do this justice. And if you can and you want to share it with me, like uh, when I post this on Facebook or Twitter, if you want to reply to it in the comments and and share your what you've done, uh, I would be happy to see it. It would be pretty cool to share. So if any of you want to do that, you can. Again, if not, no big deal. Um, it's just an idea. Uh, and then it says here, Now you did so well illustrating Genesis 1-2. I don't know how they know that. They didn't even see it. It said you did so well as if they somehow saw me. Uh, now we want you to illustrate Genesis chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 also. So there it says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, so pretty much take everything that was dark and make it bright. <laughs> it, was, it was what I get out of the concept out of that. Um, again, maybe some of you would be better at this than I. Then in the next part it says, God saw the light that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Genesis 1-4. So coming up with some way, this was a little bit easier to grasp, of separating light from darkness. That should be the simplest of the four exercises there that involved artistic ability of which I am sorely lacking. My stick figures can come out deformed and looking like they've been in car accidents. But uh, if any of you, like I said, are good at that and you want to partake in this, feel free to do so. Um, even if you just want to keep it to yourself or whatever. That's fine. Whatever you want to do. And then it says, And there was evening and there was morning one day. And that's Genesis chapter 1 verse 5b or the second half of 1-5. And so now let's go back and let's compare... Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, with Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. So I'm going to pick up my phone again. Sorry if I'm... Every time I pick my phone up and then I set it back on the table, I, it makes a little bit of a sound, I know that. So if it's particularly loud, I apologize, I don't mean it to be. But let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Should be easy to find Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. Verses 3 and 4. Plus we've been in it for a week already. So 
Yeah. And we're going to do verses 3 and 4, and then verses 14 through 18. I might go ahead and read to 19 there. But let's do Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 first. And there it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So that was the first day. That was Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, actually. And then we're going to go read verses 14 through 19. And this was on day 4. And it says here, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and to let them be and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. I remember when I read this in the NIV, and that was I found that particularly helpful. Let's go up there real quick because I think we can get something out of this. Let me start over with verse three. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light that it was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Then we go down to verse 14 here, and it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky, which, which is different from how it's worded in the NASB, but to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, in days and years. I like that. To mark sacred times. And that will come into play when we start getting into if we if we do these books in order. If not, we might not. But if we go in order, we, we would eventually get to some of the festivals and the um, celebrations that ancient Israel and even modern Israel uh, partake in. And that there are sacred times. And so it says here, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. I'm still reading in the NIV right now. To govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So, what was made on the fourth day? Well, the lights in the vault of the sky... Was made on were made on day four to separate day from night and to serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and they were to give light on the earth. This is the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is the same sun that we see when we go outside during the day. The same moon that we see when we go outside at night, and the stars that we see on clear nights when we look up in the sky. That's what was made on day four. Those are the lights. Made on day four. So then just so we don't miss it. What was. Or I guess we could say what was or what wasn't the light on day one. 
according to according to these verses on day four, according to what we learn about day four in Genesis chapter one, verses fourteen through nineteen, what can we learn about what the light wasn't on day one in Genesis chapter one, verses three and four? Well, that's pretty obvious. If the sun, the moon, and the stars were made on day four, then the light on day one in Genesis chapter one, verses three and four can't be the sun, moon, and stars. And whoa boy, do I need to clean out the litter box when this is over. Wow. But anyway, um, thank you cats for that wonderful present. I really appreciate it. But anyway, so now that we've learned what the light on day one in Genesis chapter one, verses three and four was not, let's look elsewhere in the Bible to see what it was. So we'll look at how light created on day one, how it relates to what God says about himself. And for that, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 104. It's the 104th Psalm, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read it carefully, and I want you to notice any reference to light. And then we're going to note what the passage says about light. So again, that is Psalm... One hundred and four verses one through four. And for the capital L O R D, Lord, in these verses, I'm going to substitute the proper name of God, Yahweh, which is what that is translating, just because I like it so much. So. Here we go, I'm going to read, and I'm, I'm reading from the NIV still right now. Praise Yahweh my soul. Yahweh my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Yahweh wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the wind, he makes winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. So what do we notice there from Psalm 104 about light? We notice that Yahweh covers himself with light. As with a cloak, he literally wears light. So that's the first clue about what the light is on day one. Now we're going to go to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to... Listen for every reference to the word, like actually the word, you know, not, you know what I mean, including synonyms and pronouns for the word. 
And we're also going to notice every reference to light. Just like we did in Psalm 104. And then we're going to list everything we learn from marking the words light and the word. So we're going to let me have a moment here to pull up the Gospel of John on my phone. We're going to do verses 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through the Word, through Him, all things were made, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Flashback to what we learned last week about how the Lord Jesus Christ was involved in every aspect of creation. That's who this is talking about when it's talking about the Word. If you remember, it's talking about Jesus. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Notice that. In Him, in Jesus, in the Word, was life. And that life was the light of of all mankind. The light. What's the light? Or more accurately. Who is the light? Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Just like in Genesis 1. How God separated. Light from darkness. And the darkness. Has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, not the Apostle John, who was the Gospel writer. But this is John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He, John, himself was not the light. Remember, how I talked about how the Elohim there is like God saying, you know, and it's like he himself, and how that has that emphasis on that. I talked about that last week also. Well, he himself, referring to John the Baptist, was not the light, but he came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This tells us a lot about the, the identity of the light and what the light in Genesis 1, 3, and 4 on day 1 was. So we see here that the word in the beginning was God. So Jesus is God. All things came into being through the Word, or through Jesus, as we also learn that from this. Jesus and the light are the same, so we could accurately say that Jesus is the light. That answers it. Again, we let the Bible interpret itself. Scripture is its own commentary.
It might not be all in the same verse or the same chapter or the same book, but Scripture is it's, it has one divine author overseeing it all, and it interprets itself. And we see there that G, and when we combine all this, what we learned last week and what we're learning now, that Jesus Christ is the light of Genesis chapter 1 on day 1 when God said light be. Uh, Jesus has existed eternally for all time as part of the Godhead. But his light was commanded by his father then to show to be on planet earth. The word and the light are the same. John testified about the light. That the light was coming into the world. What was coming into the world? What was he talking about here? He was talking about Jesus. If you doubt me, continue reading to the end of John chapter 1 and then tell me what the light is. John testified about the light, Jesus Christ. The light was coming into the world, which he did, to enlighten every person, to enlighten every man, as the New American Standard says. Remember Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world? He, he literally told us from his own mouth what the light in Genesis was. Let there be light and there was light and then Jesus calls himself the light of the world. It can't be any clearer. And it's so wonderful. I love the revelations from God's word that he gives us. So this has been very good. Now we're going to go to our last passage here for the day. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at verse 10. And then we're going to skip down to verses 23 and 24. And we're going to notice the word light again. And then any synonyms to light. And also, I want you to take note of what illuminates the city that's talked about here, and what there is no more, what there is no need of in Revelation 21, and why. So that's what we're going to do as part of the conclusion for the end of today's study. We're going to go to Revelation. Now, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Revelation should be easy to find. It's the very last book of the Bible, if there's any newbies listening to this. We're going to go to verse 10 of Revelation chapter 21. Again, if I'm going too fast, then feel free to pause and keep going. So, verse 10, it says, And he carried me, this is the Apostle John that wrote the book of Revelation, that's the one seeing this vision. That is the book of Revelation. It says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, Jerusalem is on the earth 
uh, Jerusalem, Israel, right now, it's the capital of Israel. You can go there today. What we're dealing with here, the context of this, and I should give some context where this study did not. This is referring to the days after the end times, after we've had a thousand year reign of Christ on earth, we have a new heavens and a new earth. This is talked about in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And so this is what's being talked about. The capital city of the new heavens and the new earth, which is New Jerusalem. It says here, it's coming down out of heaven. It's the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was that was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So that gives you a, if you can picture that in your mind, that's what this looks like. I read beyond a verse of what I was going to there because I just got so excited about this, this description. I get so caught up in this sometimes that I forget what I'm... I said I was going to do. So let's go on down to verse 23. And it says, The city, referring to this new Jerusalem, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. So remember, on day one, God said, Light be, when he commanded the light of Jesus to shine on the earth. And that's all the light there was on earth. Until day four, when the sun, moon, and stars were made. Now we're being told here, when we get to the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, or at least of the new Jerusalem itself in this particular city, that the sun or the moon doesn't need to shine on it because the glory gives, the glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. The Lamb is its lamp. Again, if you go back if you go back to the Gospel of John and other places in the New Testament and you read, you see that Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist referred to him in the Gospel of John as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Lamb is the is the lamp in the New Jerusalem. The Lamb, or Jesus Christ, is the source of light in the New Jerusalem so that there is no need for the sun or the moon to shine there. So there's no longer any need for that. We're now going back to the way things were, so to speak, somewhat, in the book of Genesis. Except then, as we'll see later, God prepared a garden for man and in... And the New Jerusalem, rather than being a garden, is a city. But, conditions are like those of pre-fall of Genesis in chapters 1 and 2. I'm referring to the fall of man. Verse 24. The nations, well, let me go back to verse 23 and read it again just because I stopped to comment. So let me, let me pick that up again. 
and then we'll read it in continuity. Verses 23 and 24. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is its lamp. Verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, again, that's the light of Jesus, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So there will be kings of the earth even on the new earth. We'll still have nations and we'll still have rulers which means we'll still have governments but it's going to be perfect and all set right. We're going to rule as we were originally intended to from the very beginning. So we see from that that the sun and moon are no longer needed for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamp is the Lamb or Jesus Christ himself. As the galaxy jumps up in my wheelchair and gets behind my back. Hello galaxy. You're a sweet kitty. I love you but please don't fall. Okay. Now. Finally, then, after all that we've seen, let's relate what God says about himself from all these passages that we've looked at today. What all is God saying about himself here? He's the creator, so he knows. And what's the relationship between himself and the light, which was created on day one? Well, first we see that the light on day one was not the sun, moon, and stars. We've made that abundantly clear. I've repeated myself about that numerous times last week and then especially today. God clothed himself with this light, which is, and Jesus is the light. John the Baptist testified about Jesus, who is the true light that enlightens every man. And we also learn that Jesus will be the source of light for the new Jerusalem. There will be no need for the sun, moon, and stars there. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory to that light. Jesus will literally fulfill his role as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There will be kings on earth, but they will be subordinate to the true king, the ultimate king. And that's not Triple H for all you WWE fans who calls himself the King of kings. He ain't the King of kings. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. There will be kings on earth, on the new earth, and they will be his subordinates as he rules and reigns, and we rule and reign with him forever and ever. So I found this particular study. This is this day so far has this might be my favorite. I know I said last week when when we got into this a little bit that that was my favorite. I think this is my new favorite. 
for this study so far. Because in this we have learned about the true identity of the source of the light in Genesis 1 on day 1. I could have just told you. I could have just given you a few summary verses or read a commentary or given you my own commentary on what this says. And that would be nice and good and maybe most of you would even take my word for it. But you see what we get, how much more enriching and wonderful and what a blessing this is when we really slow down and observe the text and take all of our interpretations out of it and just let the book interpret itself. How wonderful that is when God himself, the author of this book, reveals himself and speaks to us through it. It's it's so exciting. I hope you are as excited as I am. And I hope my enthusiasm for this is coming through. Because I love this. I love doing this. I've said this a few times already, but I look forward to doing this every day. So I hope you all are getting something out of this. Because I know I am. If nobody else is, I know I am. And so thank you all for listening. And I pray that you will meditate on these things, roll them over and over in your mind, which is what biblical meditation is. It's not that, you know, om and sitting there and emptying your mind and letting whatever floats into it float into it or whatever. But like actual meditating, biblical meditation is just rolling something over and over in your mind and, and making it part of you. That's what I hope you do with what we learn from this, learning and knowing that Jesus Christ is the light. He was the light on day one. And he is the identity of the light on day one. He is the light of men. He is the light of all people. And it is by him that our lives are truly illuminated. This is Steve Johnson, Wisdom on Wheels podcast. I have truly enjoyed being with you today, and I'm already excited about tomorrow. So God bless you, and I look forward to being with you soon. Bye for now.